And if, as kids are leaving, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 16 as we conclude our uh, message with the conclusion of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> when I was uh, like 12, my oldest sister got married after she graduated from college, and uh, there I am on your left. And on the morning of the wedding, I remember being kind of bored as people were just in a frantic trying to get ready to go to church. And so I decided I'd take my mini bike to the park. So I rolled my mini bike up to the park and I, and I you know, just rode around for quite a, quite a long time. By the time I got back, you can imagine the frantic scurry that my family was in because John went missing in action. And uh, furthermore, I was covered in dust and dirt and, um, and it hadn't changed for the wedding yet. And uh, so my mom went to get my wedding outfit and she couldn't find it. Because there was a disruption in my family plans, you can imagine the frustration and the chaos and the reason for this ugly cranberry outfit that I was wearing. It was plan B, I guess. But as a 12-year-old, I did not care one bit what I was wearing, 12-year-old boy. Sometimes interruptions can make for unexpected changes in our plans, like the Wichita School District canceling their fall sports or going to school online in certain colleges and universities. Or perhaps family vacations have been canceled, summer vacations due to COVID or due to illness or whatnot, and so it can lead to frustration well, the Apostle Paul was not exempt from frustrations like this. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, he had a change in his uh, plans. In 1 Corinthians 16, 5, we'll begin there. Paul wrote, After I go through Macedonia, <clears throat> I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. And he's speaking to the church in Corinth. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever you go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, as he said, the winter months, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work for effective work has been opened to me. How are we to be thinking about the plans that we make? What's to be our attitude? I think Paul gives us some insight into planning with the right attitude. When he said, plan well, but don't be surprised when doors close occasionally. You know, James said the same thing in his book when he wrote, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city or spend a whole year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Bruce Feiler agrees in his, books called, in his book called Life and Transitions, he refers to life quakes that happen to us, and he defines life quakes in this way. Life quakes are complex swirls of celebrations. They're setbacks, triumphs, and rebirths across the full span of our years. And then he goes on, as the book says, he postulates that each one of us will experience three dozen disruptors in our adult lives. That is one every eight 
to 12 months. Some of them will be minor, others will be disorienting, and they'll be destabilizing, like the pandemic that we've experienced. Unexpected changes. Now Paul, the apostle, was experiencing an exciting open door while the church in Corinth, they were experiencing a closed door and they were frustrated because Paul would remain away for some time. Paul had every intention of visiting these believers in Corinth. After he had planted the church and he had spent the initial one and a half years building them up and discipling them, equipping them, But God had made it clear to Paul that he was to remain in Ephesus, some 354 miles away from Corinth, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, Ephesus is, and Corinth would be Greece. Rather than return to Corinth at this time, Paul was to remain in Ephesus. The news would have been, again, discouraging and frustrating for the Corinthians. Sometimes God changes our plans because he's got better things in mind for us. God knows and he sees the bigger picture. Excuse me. <clears throat> because, for example, when I was in middle school, I, I tried out for the basketball team and basketball was my life. And uh, I got cut in the final round. And so all of my dreams just spiraled downward and I didn't know what to do with myself. I remember crying bitter tears of disappointment. That is until the gymnastics coach came by and said, hey, uh, are you available to be on the gymnastics team? Which then led to the winter season to be a diver. I could flip and twist and all this. And so I joined the diving team on the swim team, which then I progressed all the way through college into my working years as a coach in Salina for five years and coached in Indiana, gave me inroads into the public schools as a youth pastor. God said, I've got much bigger plans for you to be a minor player, basketball player. And so he, I believe that God allowed me to do that. He was redirecting my path so that I would be a gymnast and a diver. Other times, though, plans can change because of our sin, our poor choices. For example, I remember a lead actor in the amazing color dream coat and uh, I'm on the verge of coughing. Trickle, trickle. I don't have COVID, trust me. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And on on the night before this this, um, debut of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in high school, the lead actor got caught drinking, underage drinking, and the instructor said, you're out for the remain, you're out for all all of this musical. And so they had to scramble and they, they found a guy who had played Joseph in Chicago. And they, a paid actor came in to do this for several nights in the high school. But I remember what, looking at that poor kid in the front row who was supposed to be Joseph and here's this adult playing his part that he had worked months on because of his poor choices. We can't blame God when there's a change of plans when it's based on our poor choice. Or sometimes it's someone else's choices that impact us, the sin of others. For example, someone's sports sports, uh, season ended because a bully attacked him after school, tackled him on the sidewalk, broke his arm. So he was out for the season. Very disappointing because of someone else's sin. 
Regardless, unexpected changes can be very painful and can leave us reeling in disappointment and confusion and anger. A marriage plan is till death do us part, but then you hear, I don't love you anymore. Or our work plans are to retire from the company that we've worked for, but there's a downturn in the economy and you're laid off. Or a misunderstanding or false accusation can lead to a loss of public reputation. Or we pray to God to intervene in supernatural ways and we hope he'll answer it this way, but instead it feels like he's turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to our concerns. Don't be surprised when there are closed doors, but there's hope. Closed doors always precede open doors of opportunity. God works all things out for the good. In verse 7 of chapter 16, we read, They said, I hoped, uh, Paul said, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. Well, what was happening in Ephesus? Well, we can read about it in Acts chapter 19. And we read that there were many who were receiving the Holy Spirit and they were being baptized and there was revival happening. But even beyond that, there were um, Paul's handkerchief or apron that he had touched. It was taken to sick people or demon-possessed people and people were being delivered and healed simply by touching a handkerchief that touched the Apostle Paul. Supernatural events were taking place in Ephesus. And Paul said, I think the Lord wants me to stay here for a time. We need to not dwell on the why, God. Why did you allow this to happen? But what, God, do you want me to do as a result? Lord, you're still sitting on the throne. You're still, you're leading me to a new opportunity. What is it? And whether or not we experience an open door of opportunity is up to our willingness to be led through this open door and to walk through it to experience all that God has for us. We can... We can refuse to walk through that door and God will say, okay, I'll use someone else to accomplish my will. If you want to not avail yourself, then I'll use someone else. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his will upon us. But he says, there will be doors of opportunity. If I close a door, I will open another. But here's a warning. Should we choose to walk through this open door of God's opportunity for us, then they can lead to great opposition. The devil doesn't appreciate when we faithfully obey God. We read in verse 9, God opened this door, and there are many who oppose me, he said. After experiencing all these supernatural things, Paul concludes this section by saying, yet there are many who oppose me. Now, there were, there were those on the inside who were opposing the Apostle Paul. They were the fellow Jews in Acts 9. We read about those. Um, Paul was speaking in their synagogue for three months, and they were hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, and yet we're told that many Jews were obstinate and refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way of Jesus Christ in Paul's message. Other insiders were the believers in Christ, the new believers who had come to Christ. They even opposed Paul, questioning his authority, his apostleship, and his ability to lead. How much less the young protege Timothy, Paul's disciple, who would remain there with the Corinthians. Paul says in verse 10, when Timothy comes 
See to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. <clears throat> In other words, because they didn't really respect Paul's leadership, how much less would they respect Timothy's leadership? Paul minorly rebuked them and said, respect him. Don't give him anything uh, to complain about. Sometimes our harshest opponents are people who are insiders within the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ who we ought to love, who we spend eternity with, sometimes we become bitterly opposed to one another. Sometimes pastors get eaten up and, and spit out by the church leaders. I've known many pastors who have walked through dark, dark valleys in their churches. Other times it's the pastor who does the beating up and the abusive power to congregants. It shouldn't be. Sometimes the insiders are within us, inside ourselves due to discouragement <clears throat> and security. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon and Dr. John Henry Howard were two of the greatest preachers of the early 20th century. And both of them experienced discouragement galore even after winning thousands to Christ. I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you even get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go through. He suffered with bouts of depression throughout his life as the greatest preacher known to America and England. And then Don, John, uh, John Henry Jowett, you seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and calmness. By no means... I am perfectly wretched, and everything appears most murky. These men of God experienced great internal opposition. Sometimes the opposition is external. We can read about that in Paul's letter, his second letter to Corinthians. People, when they hear the truth, when they walk in the, when they see the light, they will hate the light because they love darkness, and they will oppose the light. They'll make war against the light of God. Apostle Paul said, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, danger in the city, in the country, in the sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and, and goes on and on. And yet we complain about having to wear masks. Paul says in verse 13, be on guard, man, we have an enemy who wants to divide us and destroy us. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And then finally, open doors can lead to opposition, but opposition can lead to even greater open doors of opportunity. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul was speaking in the synagogue, the Jews made trouble for him, and they kicked him out of the synagogue, and so Paul was forced to go into a Greek uh, lecture hall from of a guy named Tyrannus or Tyrannus. 
For the next two years, he taught the word of God, which not just reached the Jews, but reached the Gentiles as well. And great revival continued in Ephesus, including Tyrannus. God allows his children, all of his children, to experience the same kinds of misfortunes that unbelievers experience. We are not exempt. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we'll suffer the same kind of pain, suffering, and injustice. We are all in the pandemic together. But here's the difference. We have access to a supernatural power, the power of God and his resources. We have access to the availability of his perfect peace and his joy and his strength that the world has no clue about. And when they watch us go through difficult times, there will be a difference. We grieve as ones with hope, not ones without hope, because we have the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit living and working through us. And they will sit up and take notice, and it will give us greater opportunity to be a powerful witness for Christ. These greater open doors of opportunity will, will reveal more of God's power in our lives. First, 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 3. <clears throat> As we move into 2 Corinthians today, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. In other words, I've experienced your presence, God, in my troubles, he says. <clears throat> when Jesus told his disciples to get to the boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus knew what was awaiting them. The disciples didn't. The disciples jumped in the boat and they sailed across. And at midnight, they began to experience this storm, a storm of storms, and they became panicked because Jesus wasn't with them and they thought they were going to die. And they must have been thinking, Jesus, why did you send us out here? Did you not know? And furthermore, why didn't you come with us? We're going to die here now as your disciples. And then they saw this, this ominous figure, shadowy figure coming their way, and they all screamed. They were terrified, not because they recognized who it was, but they thought it was the angel of death. They thought, we're goners. But that's when Jesus said, hey, it is I. You recognize my voice? Do not be afraid. And so Peter said, hey, if it's you, if it truly is you, Jesus, tell me to come out here. And so we know the story. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water, began to sink. Jesus rescued him. But they saw the glory of God. Oswald Chambers, in November 28th, um, my utmost for his highest devotional for the day, he wrote this about this experience. We are apt to imagine that if Jesus Christ constrains us, and we obey him, he will lead us to great success. In other words, he'll bless us. We must never put our dreams of success as God's purpose for us. His purpose may be exactly the opposite. We have an idea that God is leading us to a particular end, a desired goal. He is not. The disciples thought our goal is to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had something else in mind. The question of getting to a particular end is a mere incident. What we call the process, God calls the end. His purpose is that I depend on him and on his power right now. 
If I can stay in the middle of the turmoil or the storm, in the disciples' case, and remain calm and unperplexed, that is the end of the purpose of God. God's plan is to enable me to see that he can walk on the chaos of my life just now. If we have a further end in view, we do not pay sufficient attention to the immediate present. But if we realize that obedience is the end, then every moment as it comes is precious. I don't know what you're going through today. You may have a heavy weight of discouragement or burden that you're carrying but you are here right now and you want to get to the end. You want to get to resolution. You want God to do a miracle. But God says the miracle is right now, meeting you right here with my presence as you worship me, allowing me to fill you right now. That is my end goal. My strength is made perfect in your weakness and I will be faithful and I will make you more like myself today. Opposition can lead us to more of his presence, but it will also give us more empathy. 2 Corinthians 1.4, so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, etc., Sheila Walsh, when she was five years old, she's a singer-songwriter. I used to have her record album, in fact, that one on the left, when I was a teenager. When she was five, her father experienced a brain injury due to an accident, which led him to take his own life. Sheila Walsh, she cried out to God. God met her, and she started serving the Lord, and she said, I've got this heavenly father now, but I've got to serve him, and I have to be good enough to my heavenly father so that he won't leave me like my earthly father. And so she began this works righteousness type of spirituality. It caught up to her by the time she was 30, which ended her into a mental breakdown in a psychiatric hospital. She said, it was the greatest gift that I received when I was admitted into that psychiatric hospital because it was then that I read Psalm 34 and God met me through his word which says God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And today, Sheila Walsh says, I love broken people. When I go and meet them, which I do all the time, as an author, as a speaker, as a singer, she says to them, hey, I was diagnosed with mental illness and I take medication every day of my life and you can survive this too. God's light shines best through our cracks. Opposition can lead to greater doors of opportunity to minister to others with God's empathy for others. And then opposition can lead to an opportunity where people see more of God's power. In verse 8, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia in Egypt. Ephesus, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there before? Despairing of life itself? 
Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, his power, and who, the one who raises the dead. Interestingly enough, the more we grow closer to God, the more weak we see ourselves. Be leery of those who are filled with spiritual arrogance saying, hey, be like me. Be leery of people like that. The Apostle Paul, in one of his first letters he wrote to the Galatians, he said, Paul, an apostle to the church of Galatia. Seven years later in 1 Corinthians, he writes, for I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Five years later, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said, although I'm less than least of all the saints, now Paul is out of the apostolic category. And then his last book that he wrote, 1 Timothy, he says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. The more, the closer he got to Christ, the more he saw his need for Christ. It's sort of like that old hymn, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing on the need of prayer. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I like this one. It's not the deacon or the pastor, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I heard David Jeremiah say that on the radio this last week. Crack me up. Does God, like a dictator, desire that we bow before him? and you know grovel before him saying I need you almighty God oh I need you my master no that's not his attitude he knows that when we submit to him and when we come with open hands like this he's able to fill us with his provision with himself with his his power and his empathy his faithfulness and his power rests on us he alone can raise the dead and then finally Opposition can lead to greater open doors of opportunity, revealing more of God's faithfulness. In verse 10, Paul writes, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. When Peter climbed into the boat with Jesus after walking on the water and beginning to sink, the wind died down immediately and the disciples fell on their knees and they worshiped Jesus right there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They met him there. It was a transformative moment in their lives and they, when they said, truly, this is the Son of God. And they would have recalled this experience time and time again as they would encounter opposition throughout their years of ministry after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The disciples counted on God's faithfulness, which then gave him glory through their testimony. So, when you encounter opposition and closed doors, it can be very disappointed, disappointing. But first, don't be surprised when doors close. They can close for a multitude of reasons, as we discussed. Secondly, closed doors will pre precede 
open doors of opportunity that God has for us. But when these opportunities come and we walk through them, don't be surprised that you experience opposition because we have a spiritual enemy. But there's hope because God is greater than this opposition. And God will lead us to even greater doors of opportunity. God is faithful. He is present with us. He offers us his power. And he changes us by his compassion. Let's pray. So Jesus, I thank you that you are here today. I thank you for every single person that is listening online or that worshiped in the first service or the second service, Lord, who sat under the authority and truth of your word. I pray, Lord, by the power and your presence of your Holy Spirit, you change us. You meet us right where we are, and you let us know how precious this moment is just to be in your presence. Do a work, a supernatural work in each one of us, Lord. We need you. We need your hope. We need your strength. We need your empathy. We need to be reminded once again of your faithfulness. For you still sit on the throne no matter what we're going through. In Jesus' name, amen.